uh, faulty furnaces, Lord. We praise you for this time together, Lord. I, I praise you for my brothers and sisters that brave this cold to come here and to worship you. It's not about us. It's about you, Lord. And so we just give you praise and we give you glory uh, for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that you would just use this message for your glory, that you might use me to proclaim your word. And we give you praise and we just thank you, Father God, because there's something here in this message, Lord, that will speak to the hearts of your people. I pray that our hearts will be open to receive whatever your Holy Spirit has for us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever have a friend or whatever, you know, someone that is always cool, under pressure? It's like, how can they always be so calm and relaxed? Nothing ever seems to bother them. You know, uh, they never really get stressed out. They always seem to maintain their cool. Ever have a friend like that? Sometimes they wonder if that if that's just something just in their DNA or or is it a combination of things? I have a uh, some friends of ours. He's a farmer, and uh, and Roger is exactly like that. I don't know when he was in his early years or whatever. That's just his personality. But this guy just is always steady Eddie. He never. He never changes his, no matter what's going on around him, he maintains the same kind of a temperament. But then it hit me when I was thinking about that this week, about Roger, and that is, I, th- I believe, my, my slant on this is that many years ago, in fact, we were, God used us as instruments to lead Roger and his wife to the, to the Lord. And since that time... I, I think his comes, comes from, he's learned how to follow Jesus Christ. And to see that is an amazing thing. So this morning, I want to go right into my first thought. And that is to follow Christ is to be a contented person. And let's look at Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I'm not afraid, what can man do to me? Then go back to uh, 5a, keep your eyes free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Friends, money itself is not the problem, we've talked about this. There's nothing wrong, my goodness, uh, to try to be successful in whatever you do. That's a God-given, driven thing to want to be successful, want to get ahead. You want that for your children. Don't you want your children to be more successful than you? You know, that's kind of a human nature thing, too, that we want our kids to be successful. We like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I say that because... The writer really was talking about those who have this insatiable love for affluence, an affluence that is never, ever satisfied. Their search goes from having enough to live on and then maybe a little left over, you know, and maybe have a lot left over for my retirement time or whatever. And so... 
they're driven by this desire for more and more and more and more. When is enough enough? If you're a billionaire, do you need, you know, if you're a billionaire, do, do you need $2 billion or four? I'm just saying I don't understand that world, but it just seems to me that, that this idea that Jesus was talking about really is there's nothing wrong with being successful as long as it doesn't become your God. As long as it doesn't become your God. So, that's my first thought I had this morning. Um, I don't know. Uh, I was blessed to have a father-in-law who was an accountant and had his own business. A conservative man. He never, he taught us, and we're young marrieds, about finances for, uh, for us. And what we felt were comfortable, and we took up his philosophy. I think I shared with some of you here today, but I'll kind of pass this on as well. And, and, and some of you, I'm not saying you're doing a great job with your finances. That is wonderful. I'm not telling you how to, what to do, how to save, or whatever. I'm just telling you uh, a philosophy that was given to me that we've used that's helped us. My father-in-law used to say, spend a little, save a little. Spend a little, save a little. Now, I'm not saying he was perfect. Out of all, out of, all of his friends, uh, he probably was one of the, at the bottom in terms of, of uh, finances, of wealth, but he did all right. He never maintained... Spend a little, save a little. He passed that on to us. And so we've tried to incorporate that into our lives and our financial lives through the years, and God has blessed us in doing that. So I just want to share that with you. Then in verse 5b, God has said, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. God will supply our needs, providing that we want. That we abide in him, meaning trusting God leads to a, a contentment that overrides this relentless drive for more things. Things. We want things. We want more things. We want more things. Now, it's interesting because um, we look at our kids, my kids, that are all married and they have, you know, uh, my two girls, they have their children, whatever, whatever. And uh, sometimes I wonder, I looked at Jan and said, did we miss something raising our kids? Because it seemed like with our grandchildren, now I'm not, I'm not throwing my grandchildren under the bus, but it seems like they want, they want what their parents have right now. You know, they, they, I call that, I don't know what I'd call that kind of a, where, where kids expect stuff. And they, and they want it. They want that big house that mom and dad live in, and they want it when they first get married. And perhaps, and many of them want, they want the management position before they even start working. Now, I'm not criticizing them, but it just seems like kids are raised a little bit differently these days. Uh, you know, I can say the good old days, I could be wrong there. But, you know, we just didn't, you know, with our kids, we'd shove them off the door at, the, when, at 16 and say, you get a job. You get a part-time job. Work for your money. 
Don't let it, don't, ex- I don't expect us just to give it to you. You need to work for it. I, there's, there's probably good and bad in that, right? And that's all I'm saying. I'm not patting ourselves in the back and saying that's the right, right way to do it. But my point with this is that in verse 6, talks about, so I say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We need never be consumed with the lure of temporal possessions because the Lord is our helper. We need never fear what this day will bring because the Lord is our helper. We need never fear that test result that's coming because the Lord is our helper. We need never fear or worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day because the Lord is our helper. God does not want us to settle for mediocrity. He doesn't want that. He doesn't promise the palace, but he said, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Then his best, God wants you to give you his best. What does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that Rolls Royce in your driveway. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for me. The question is, do we trust that? We tend to want to look at our neighbors and see what they're driving, what they're doing. And we measure success oftentimes by society, by society's standards. No, as Christians, we need to measure success by Jesus' standards. I remember, I think I shared this, but I think it's so appropriate today. When I was called in years ago to help a church that was struggling with their pastor, and I made the mistake of when I was, I was I, first I met with a the pastor, then I was meeting with their board, and as I was meeting with the board, we are talking about finances or whatever, and I made the mistake of saying this. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, God, you know, we need to be content where we are, blah, 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 blah. And then I said, you know, I've had seven years of education, and I said, a lawyer has seven years of education, higher education, and they make a lot of money. Usually, pastors don't. Oh, did I hear that one? Well, a lady just popped up and said, well, my, my son's a lawyer. When she said that, I knew I was in trouble. I said, I want to say, but you missed my whole point. I'm not saying that he should not. You, you're missing that. I wanted to put things in, in perspective. But we need to do that because it's not about, it's about Christ. It's about some people are, you know, have a lot of money. Praise God for that. We are at the bottom end of our social with our friends, you know, financially. But that's okay because that's the track God has us on. And that's all right. I'm not saying their way is not good, but be content with where you are. Where God has put you, that's where you need to be and stay there, knowing that that's all right. Isn't it? That's all right. I didn't hear an amen, so this is not going very well, is it? (laughs) Amen. All right. Thank you. Um, 
I'm going to talk about the power of choice. That's number two. And it comes from Joshua 24, 14 through 15. And we're going to be here for a while with that, but just listen to this. Joshua speaking. Now, Joshua is at the end of his life. This really is his final message to the, to, to the people of Israel. So he gathers all the people of Israel, and he delivers these two, I'm just going to two powerful uh, uh, verses. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. These verses are based on a God who acts, a God who acts, witnessed by millions of people throughout all human history, including Joshua and other prophets, challenging us, challenging us, to make a choice. We are called to make choices in life. It doesn't matter when you're a Christian, become a born-again Christian, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, every day you are making a choice. You are making a choice for your Lord. That's all of us are included in that. It never stops by saying, I'm a born-again Christian, Jesus loves me, that says it, that's it. That's only the beginning of our journey through this life by making choices that would bring him glory and that would bring him honor. To follow God or not to follow him. Or follow the world's values. See, Joshua is encouraging us to let God be God in our lives. Are we doing that? Letting God to be God in our lives. Joshua affirms this in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you shall serve. Joshua was not straddling the fence. He was saying, don't straddle that fence. Make a decision. Joshua could look back on his life, and that's what he was really doing in his farewell, his final address. He was looking back on his life. And as looking back on his life, he could say that God had been faithful. He could say that that God had been faithful to him, his family. Can we say that? Can you say that in your life? Has God been faithful to you? You know, as we live, I look out, I see young people, I see older people, parents, grandparents, parents. And the question is this, for you, is 
How faithful have you been to God, and do your children see that? With Joshua, see, he said, he said, you know, he talked about the faithfulness of God. He was talking about himself. He was being a witness about how God had been faithful to, to Joshua and his family. And he's telling that to the Israelites. And God is saying to us, are you faithful? Are you being faithful? We're on our journey, but if it stops for you today, will your children say that mom and dad or grandma and grandma have been faithful in the Lord? What legacy are you going to leave your children? Because that's the lasting one. Joshua said, put all away. What about God? Make a choice. Are you with him or are you going to be against him? As for me and my household, oh boy, we're staying with God. This is where we are. What it is. We are called to be witnesses to our families, our friends, you know. And not to put it on the shelf because for fear of what they might think or whatever, what they might say. Amen? And amen. All right. So if you're not sure of God's faithfulness, consider your options. Let me give an example of what I'm talking about. Who gives you the best advantage in life? Who gives you the best advantage in your life? Is it Jesus Christ? Or is it what this world offers? Who gives you the greatest inner peace and satisfaction in your life? Is it Jesus? Or is it what this world offers? Who gives you the best chance, the best chance to build better character? Is it Jesus or is it what the world offers? That was Joshua's point. He was challenging the people and we need to be challenged today with that. Amen? Like the Israelites in Joshua's day, God wants us to examine the facts and to turn either to his promises or the world's promises. You know, the Bible is loaded with facts about who God is. God has given us plenty of opportunity and knowledge to make a decision either to accept him or not to accept him by just looking at the facts. I love it when the critics of Christianity say, well, it's just a, a feeling religion. It's just, it's just a feeling. That's all it is. It is not. Christianity is so important. It is a religion also of the mind. Because it, it just is. You stop and think, but why do you believe in Christ? It's just because Chris said so? Are we just going to take his word for it? Thank you, brother, being a brother in Christ. But I can't do that. Don't take my word for it. Investigate. Look at the facts. Then make your own decisions based on those facts as the Holy Spirit leads you. Are you good with that? I hope so. Because... 
I am. Whose will you choose? That was Joshua. Okay. You know it. You know all the facts. You know, you followed me for all these years. You've seen the, the miraculous things God has done on behalf of the Israelites, your people. Okay, now who are you going to choose? We're leaving. I'm going to be gone here. So who are you going to follow? Who are you going to choose? That is so, so important in the faith, isn't it? Because really, that is what, that's what drives us in the faith is our choices that we make. Okay. Spiritual dry spells, number three. Romans 10, 11 through 13. Listen to this. As, Paul said, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And then verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are times, there are times when we get spiritually down. Are you always spiritually up? Is every day for you, oh, oh, this is so wonderful. God loves me. Jesus loves me. I have no problems or whatever. I can deal with anything. I'm never down. I'm always this thing. I talk about Roger. I'm sure Roger, in his own way, he got down. Had his, his dry his dry time as well. But sometimes we feel distant from God. You know, life is not working out the way we had planned, the way we prayed. Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray, but but it doesn't turn out the way we prayed. Amen. You know, how many times have you prayed for something and it never turned out the way you wanted it to turn out? Or you're praying and you're waiting, and in that time of waiting, you feel, where is God? Is God really working? I don't know if God's working in this. There's like that dry spell. How many of you have ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Look at that. Hands go up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I tell you about good old Dietrich, and that is, you know, in the, in, in, in the Pentecostal circles, you probably never find his name. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor theologian in World War II. Bonhoeffer came from privilege. He had, I think, seven or eight brothers and sisters. They all very professionals, you know, very successful. Bon Dietrich became a theologian, and he was a brilliant mind. And Bonhoeffer always took his theology and integrated it into society. So he was raised during the, during the time of Hitler and the Nazi regime. And he fought against that tremendously. Bonhoeffer then in 1938 went, uh, 
arrived in the United States and was teaching in the United States when suddenly the Nazi machine started to really come and, and his people, they, well, he was a German, and, and he, was, uh, he was adamant against what the Germans were doing to the Jews. And he said, I cannot stay, I cannot stay in the United States. I cannot stay here and be comfortable when I know what's going on back in my country. So he left. He left Germany. He left the United States, went back to Germany. And Bonhoeffer spent a year and a half in a Nazi concentration camp. And he was hung just a few weeks before that camp was liberated. And listen to this. He was tried because they thought he was a, 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 a Jewish sympathizer and that he was, one, he was part of the, a group that plotted to kill Hitler. His trial was, you could almost say it was kind of like, in a sense, like Jesus' trial. It was a mock trial. He didn't have any witness. They just, they just, in prison, they convicted him to be hung. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went to the gallows naked. They stripped him naked as he walked to those gallows. And one of his prisoner friends said this, his final words were, this is the end. But for me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer was very interesting. If there's a book out, if you ever want to read it, it's called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's an excellent read. It's It's heavy. Because he was a heavy thinker. But it is an excellent read. I encourage you to pick it up and find out about this man. He fascinated me. He was very instrumental in my early stages of, of developing my own theology. Was Dietrich Bonhoeffer probably influenced me more than any other theologian. He had a heart for Jesus. And yet he was not considered a Pentecostal. He was not considered a conservative, yet he really was. But he was instrumental in, he was instrumental in helping people endure their spiritual dry spells while they were in prison. That guy was amazing. For a year and a half, he was an encourager in prison. He was an encourager by, by his letter writing. Why? Bonhoeffer simply obeyed his salvation. That's it. I'm closing with this. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny, deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. I want you to think about that. Denying your cross.
and following him. We doing okay? Excuse me. My fingers are numb. Can't turn the pages. I'm cold. I'm just an old man trying to stay warm. That's all it is. Um, as you know, whatever, uh, my sister passed away this past week. And I had the privilege of two days prior to her death, she, she called me up. She was in the hospital. And we had a nice conversation, very short, because she couldn't breathe very well. And I said, to, we called her Jackie. And I said, Jackie, I said, you know, I had to do this. I'm a pastor. I know that she was dying. I have been in contact with, with her, her children. And uh, I said, you know, I said, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And she said, yes. She was a great fan of, she couldn't get out much in her uh, uh, last couple years or so. And she loved to listen to Charles Stanley on the radio. I said, you know what? I said, Charles Stanley is a Baptist. He goes old school, believe in Jesus Christ and get saved. That's Charles Stanley. That basically is his theology. And I said, Jack, that's wonderful. She said, oh, yeah. And, uh, and she said, I'm ready to go. She said, Denny, I'm ready to go. And uh, she said, I'm tired of fighting. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go home. Now, here's my story with all of this, about God's planning in our lives, what have you. So I was talking to my, to my niece, her, her daughter. And Cindy said, yeah. Uh, she said uh, that all the family was in. They gathered around the room. She, and Jackie's laying in the bed. And uh, she said to her mom, uh, Jackie said to her children, I'm ready to go home. And Cindy, her, her youngest daughter, said, Mom, are you talking about going back to Illinois? Because uh, Jackie, she was in, they were in Florida. And she said, No, I'm talking about, she pointed you know, to heaven. And then she went to sleep. And then she woke up. And she looked at her children and said, I'm still here. You see, we have plans. And sometimes, you know, our timing doesn't work. See, but God always has the plan because salvation reminds us. Salvation reminds us that Jesus is always there, will always lift us up and prepare us along the way. That's what we need to hang on to, no matter what you are going through or what I'm going through. It's what Jesus Christ can do in our lives in the, in the joyful times, in the very, very hard times. He is always there. He is always faithful. Then we go again to, I'm going to read Matthew again because it's so important, what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to, to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The disciples knew that following Jesus meant possible death. At least persecution. But they would have no regrets. No regrets on their part. 
to take up his cross doesn't mean that I have decided to move into a smaller home in order to serve him more effectively. But I will if that's Jesus' path for me. To take up his cross doesn't mean that I will serve him even when it's very inconvenient. But I will if that's Jesus' path for me. One final story. Can you remember what happened uh, in 1999, April of 1999, in Middleton, I think it's Middleton, Colorado? Two deranged students went into Columbine High School and literally slaughtered kids. How many of you do remember the name Rachel Joy Scott? What a story that is. Some of it is myth. I, I believe that. But most of it is not. She wrote in her journal, and she's a strong 17-year-old Christian girl. And she wrote in her journal, almost she had, like had a premonition that she would, she would sacrifice her life for Christ. Rachel was the first student that was killed as those killers mocked her faith and shot her numerous times. To take up Jesus' cross doesn't mean that I choose to give up my life for Christ. But I will if that's Jesus' path for me. Now, these are very dramatic illustrations, but do you get the point? Get the point what we're talking about here? It just must be. It just must be. We need to take seriously taking up the cross for Jesus Christ. Each and every day, we're called to do it. In your life, what you're doing, your family, your decisions, everything is taking up his cross and following him for that day. It's taking it one day, one ask at a time. Sometimes we want to gobble it all up. We can't. Living for Christ, in my view, is you live it each day at a time. One step, you take another step. You take another step for him because life changes so dramatically. One day you're high, the next day you're low. One day you're great, then you, then you get the phone call. Or you get the bad news. Whatever it is, it's living for Jesus Christ one step at a time. And listen, there isn't any fame in following Christ unless you're probably a TV evangelist or you're a great author and you're selling tons of books. You're not going to win any any popularity contest following Jesus Christ. But listen to this. We only get, friends, we only get one shot 
at living on this earth. We're in it. This is our shot right here. All of us and everybody around the world. This is our shot to live in this world. Let taking up his cross be our motivating factor. Regardless of what you are going through, regardless of your circumstances. I'm not in your head. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe some bad things are going on. Regardless of what your circumstances are, remember this. Jesus offers a message of hope. A message of hope. So whatever, wherever you are, God is tapping you on the shoulder. He's saying, I'm giving you hope. I'm giving you me. Whatever it is that you need, I'm here for you. Will you reach out to me? Will you do that now? Will you trust me? Will you choose to trust me? You can't handle this on your own, but you can through me. And this is all summarized, I think, in verse 13. And Joel said it first in this prophecy, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will find peace. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will find hope. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will find purpose. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will find strength when when you feel you can never have strength. He will give you the strength to, to do whatever he's called you to do because that's God's path for you, my brothers and my sisters. I'm done. I'm just saying. I've been asked to do to be one of the officials of my, of my sister's funeral on Friday. You know, my first thought was, I thought, I've done my brother, my older brother's funeral. I did my sister's. Now I'm doing my other sister's. I started feeling sorry for myself. Why can't I just go and just be a grieving brother for my sister? God, give me the strength. I can't do this on my own. Give me the strength. And he will, and he is. He do the same for you. Whatever it is for you, your pain, he will give you the strength. Just call on him. Call on him now. If you need strength for something right now, you call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon his name right now and just, and just open your hearts up to him and let him minister to you and give you strength. Oh, God, I pray in this moment that any brothers, sisters, call upon you now, Lord, in their, in their moments, Lord, that you might give them strength. You might give them strength to overcome the strength to know that they can walk with you, that you're with them, that you never leave them, you'll never forsake them. For anyone who calls upon you will be saved, 
and will be healed. In Jesus' name, amen.